Welcome to this week's edition of Good Books Radio. Audiobooks.com is the chief underwriter for Good Books Radio, which is produced by UTRGV Media Services for Rio Grande Valley Public Radio. And now, here's your host, Dr. John Cook. Welcome once again to another edition of Good Books Radio. I'm your host this week, Dr. John Cook. Good Books Radio is a production of the University of Texas Rio Grande Valley as a service to the community and to public radio. With me today is a prolific writer. Her name is Elsie Van Savage. Her next novel is Francis, and it's being edited. Uh, her column, Elsie's Take, appeared in the Times Record Brunswick, Maine, for over 30 years and is now featured weekly in the Coastal Journal out of Brunswick, Maine. Her stories and essays also appear in Maine Seniors Magazine. She hosted a local TV show Maine, in Maine Public Broadcasting Network for 15 years called Incredible Maine. Uh, she's a collaborative writer as well as a solo writer, and she co-wrote a book on Marilyn Monroe, with Marilyn Monroe's first husband called uh, To Norma Jean with Love, Jimmy, and that was featured on E! and TV Guide and Larry King Show in Bill Green's Maine. She's written other collaborative books. She has had articles and short stories published in magazines, press magazines, anthologies, and books. She writes rhymed and rhythmed poetry and has included these in a book called Elsie's Tape, Poetry. Uh, she still does readings around Maine from her poetry columns and books. And a how-to book called How to Paint People's Life Stories is being updated. Um, she's just a terribly prolific person. She's currently um, doing some smaller uh, one-subject personal big paintings as well as paintings in that genre on the, uh, on many wonderful songs of the great American songbook, The Gershwins, Cole Porter, Irving Berlin. Uh, born in Staten Island, New York, she's lived in Brunswick, Maine since 1974 with her husband, Stephen. They've been happily married for 60 years. They have three sons and six grandchildren. That's an impressive bio. Elsie, welcome to the program. Thank you, John. I'm fascinated by listening. Did I do all that stuff? Wow. <laughs> all that and more. I, I cut it short. <laughs> I want to say a word, word to my regular listeners because you know from listening to the show for the last 11 years that I never do a fiction work. Uh, but when I got this promotion on, on this book by L.C. Van Savage, Queenie, I decided it was time to give it a whirl. Uh, it, it, it is a it is a semi autobiographical work according to the promotion. But what's most interesting about it is how sensitively and insightfully it deals with life in the fifties in patriarchal America, and it and it handles subjects including ethnocentrism and bigotry and elitism and sexism and pedophilia and homophobia and bullying. And I just thought with that many subjects so well handled, it would be well worth the exploration. So we're going to talk today about Queenie. Okay. Uh, and, and first of all, as I said, it was set in the 50s, but I'm not clear exactly where these folks are located. I, I, I saw reference to Staten Island and, and New York City, but uh, is it in the boroughs? Is it in the Jersey Shore? Where are they actually, the characters well, actually? You know, it, always says, it is said that one should always write what one knows. And so since I was mm-hmm. raised on Staten Island, I decided to let them be the victims. And so it, the book is... Uh, I, I was a little nervous because there are some people that are still alive that, that are re- referenced in the book, but um, it is technically about Staten Island or living in New York City uh, mm-hmm. in, in that time in the 50s, which was different. We look back always with, you know, through rose-colored glasses, but it was pretty different, and, um, and I enjoyed every minute of it, but uh, had to write the book. Uh huh. Now, our 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 uh, protagonist it, it tells this story in the first person. Courtney Wolcott is her name, and she is lives a very sheltered life among the rich elite wasps uh, yes. in, in an area ca- called the Hill, where lots of mansions reside. Um, yes. And you paint that picture so beautifully. Uh, I love the names. Her her boyfriend. 
from the elitist is Remington Nathaniel Richardson. Her, her father is Walter Hancock Walcott, and uh, the headmaster of the school where she goes is Winston Raleigh. Uh, just the names alone paint a picture that's very interesting. But the, the, the way you describe that sheltered life is very interesting. Uh, you know, the country club is their whole existence. There's balls and uh, holiday balls and dances and teas. And it's just very much the life of, of an elite group. John, you really do your homework. It's a wonderful story. I, I love the way you paint this picture uh, so vividly. Well, you nailed it. You got it all. Yes, they are. They all. We all had very waspy names, and um, we had to. If we didn't have the waspy name, we didn't belong. You know, back mm-hmm. then, so it was a. It was a very um, sort of a not good world to be raised in. But there it is. I got to be raised in both. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the the nature of their life there is is so sheltered that they really don't have contact with the rest of the real world very much, right? That's right. That's right. Exactly. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And uh, um, that is not healthy, I don't think. Now looking back, as we can all look back at my age, and uh, it it just isn't a good way to live because um, that is not the real world. That is a very tiny part of the real world, and. Uh, and not good. So I, in spite of the fact that I was taken from it, um, my father didn't realize at the time, but he gave me the greatest gift he ever could have by putting mm-hmm. me in with the other people. <laughs> the or other the people. have-nots, as we used to say. Mm-hmm. Well, as Courtney talks about her parents, she talks about them as being very cold. Uh, they would ask her a question and then really not listen. Um, her mother was constantly on the phone planning social engagements and Yes. her next mahjong party and and they just really weren't connected to her very much you mean you weren't raised like this john <laughs> no, not no. At all. <laughs> no that's the way that yes that's the way they were they had their their social things to do mahjong was um always played and um because there was no tv so it was done to go to people's homes and and do these genteel things with each other mm-hmm. and just it was just another world. I like to look back. I like to think back about it, but I don't ever want to go there again. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't have any choice now, actually, it, but still, I don't want to go there. Yeah. It, it, another thing about our our protagonist is that she actually feels more like the the servants that that work in the house were more like family to her than her parents were because they were actually nurturing and and took good care of her. And uh, I, one of her friends from down the hill in the other school that she goes to that we'll get to in a minute, uh, Winona referred to them as paid slaves, and that's not far off, is it? That is not far off. They were, and and the the very wealthy could, would laugh. My memory is that they would laugh that they could get them to work for $3 an hour. Now, I know this was the 50s, and everybody says, oh, that was a lot of money back then. No, it wasn't. And um, But they they used to make fun of these people because, the staff, because they figured that they were too stupid to realize that they were being ripped off. It wasn't that. It was just that they needed the, they needed the job, and so they were willing to look away, mm-hmm. except what they had. Oh, boy, it was a bad time. Not yeah, good. A lot of the, uh, uh, sorry, <laughs> a lot of the idealism uh, springs from the movies of the time. You mentioned wanting to look like uh, Scarlett O'Hara and uh, that your that the father uh, resembled Clark Gable, and so there's right. a lot of references to the classic movies of that era. 
they had a tremendous influence on us. And I, I spent a whole lot of my youth um, in front of the movie screens and looking at the glamorous women and thinking, well, that's what you'd grow up to be. Mm-hmm. To with nail polish and makeup and wealthy friends. And they were very influ- influential. The movies today are much more... Mm-hmm. One more thing about the characterization before we turn to the uh, academy a bit and then your uh, move to another school. Uh, it, it, the characterization of your parents and their relationship to the servants was really interesting when you talked about uh, the mother really being so proud of her rose garden, but she did very little to take care of that. And uh, and even when she uh, had flower arrangements, she had the servant Emma go up and down the stairs to take them into an area where they'd last longer so that people would be impressed with the roses that came out of her rose garden. And I thought that was, and, and that, that Emma would in fact do that dutifully, even though it was a lot of work and, and, and very taxing just because she knew that if she didn't do it, somebody else would get her job. Right. And, you know, when I look back and I think that, that I just sat there on the couch and watched all this happen, it never occurred to me that this wasn't really right, that this poor black woman, Emma, whom I adored, was trudging up and down the stairs with these flowers from, yes, John, the picking garden. You had to have a picking garden. One stayed on display all the time and one was for picking. And, um, yeah, that's what you did. The staff, I don't think those people could have survived without the staff. They really couldn't. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. think back very fondly of those. And they were all black um, people and they were so kind to me and never, they could have been, uh, you know, mean to me, but they were never. They were respectful, kind, and loving. So I got lucky. Uh-huh. Yeah. Now, the academy where the, Courtney was going to school through 10th grade uh, is a, a very elite school of these country club goers uh, with classes of about 10 students each, all pretty much wasps. And um, the, uh, the principal, Winston Raleigh, had a, a vicious temper. But other than that, it was, a, it was a, a very interesting place. I mean, they were on the honor system. They could walk the halls without a hall pass and things like that that, you know, a lot of students are not accustomed to. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was quite different. And um, uh, from public school, certainly, uh, yeah, you could. You just raised your hand if you had to. You could just walk out of the classroom, go wherever you wanted to, and come back, and you were expected to behave. And, John, guess what, too? Back in the private school days when a teacher – or an adult entered the classroom, you automatically stood up. Can you right. imagine doing that today? Yeah. I can't, but yeah. you did. I remember when uh, the transition was made. Well, let's, let's talk about the transition. Her father said to her, um, he called her in to have a serious talk with her about how uh, they were hurting for money. He'd made a bad investment, and it, the company had gone bankrupt, and so they were going to have to tighten their uh, – Rains a little bit and, and maybe uh, let go of a couple of servants and sell off a couple of cars and have fewer parties and, and that she was going to have to go to public school. And mm. so crestfallen to hear those words, public school. Terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. Because mm. up until then, she had looked, Courtney had looked down her nose, as they say, at public school kids. They were called, uh, for some reason, we called them the cheap kids. They were called cheap because they, to us, they looked cheap. Um so that was a bad insult, but um, yeah, we uh, we we really thought we were a lot better than they. But I learned, I learned. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let's let's take us now into New New Newtown School. Um, the first day was incredibly traumatic, as you uh, as Courtney goes to the bus stop, and all, all the other kids basically ignore her at first, and she really doesn't yeah. even know how to act to get on the bus, right? <laughs> John, these memories you're bringing back, yes, it was awful. 
mm-hmm. terrible, but you know, you do it. And uh, a vivid scene: she fell into the lap of a of a large black woman, Winona, and Winona. Uh, it, it, it scared her to death. Uh, she wasn't even sure she should take a seat. Um, and at some point, she introduced herself, and eventually, Winona turned around and said her name, right? Um, she, but that was like grudgingly. Yeah. As she was walking away, she just yelled it over her shoulder, Winona. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Courtney said, what? And um, there it was. But that's how it was done and back then. And uh, mm-hmm. Courtney was so glad to have that bone thrown to her at that point. Winona mm-hmm. was a hero. And, and, I, and, I, and I, we do want to get to her heroism. But I, I skipped a part where... You, you went to register at the school and the, the, the lady that was there was not very welcoming until you asked to be, to be at least shown around the school so you know where things were. Yes. That's right. And I still can't pronounce her name. Piss, piss. I still can't do it. Long Italian <laughs> name. I could write it out, but I could never say it. Uh-huh. But she did. She, mm-hmm. she did. she did begrudgingly show me around the school um, a little mm-hmm. bit. So I would... I gotta say, she so she would not get lost the first day of school. Uh huh. So um, in the school, it, it's it's very odd to be the odd person that no one knows and referred to all day in the first day as the new girl, <laughs> calling attention right. to the fact that she wasn't part of the group. Um, right. The school bus passes by the Catholic church, and all the Italians cross themselves and. Awkwardly, she crosses herself to not knowing what to do. Uh, That's right. It's interesting how it, 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 it becomes very difficult to fit in when you, you don't really know how. That's right. It is. Mm. It is hard. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's what is the old expression, being thrown to the wolves or however? You, you Suddenly, you learn how to cope. The human, be- human beings can sort of make it happen. Well, kind of. Mm-hmm. She tries yeah, so there's several ways in which the protagonist chooses to fit in. She joins some clubs, gets involved in journalism, um, uh, tries to talk to people a bit. Um, but in the early going, it was so tough that she, in the lunchroom, she didn't know where to sit. And finally, you know, accidentally sat in somebody else's chair who had gotten up to go get something else and was told to get out of the chair. And, and for a while, ate her lunch in the bathroom, in a stall, <laughs> until she got discovered there one day. <laughs> right. With the feet drawn up so no one would know. Oh, dear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what we do in life. But, yes, that's what happened. But um, at some point, people began to take notice of her. There was the terrifying month of December when she was a hall monitor, and some of the punks... Uh, and, and, and especially the, the, the leader, Dom DeRusso, Dom, Dominic DeRusso, who I can picture him from your description. It's almost like I can see John Travolta in Greece uh, combing his pompadour in, in, in the same kind I of outfit. Also, John Travolta stole his persona from my, my friend Dominic <laughs> DeRusso. Yes, it's exactly right, John. That's right. <laughs> he looked just like him. Mm-hmm. Gorgeous. And Dom, of course, was the stud of the school. He was muscular and attractive and um, pretty much had his way there. Um, but he had turned down a certain girl, and that girl caused a lot of trouble because she didn't accept the fact that he no longer was her boyfriend. Uh, Maddie? No. Was it Marty? Oh, 
gosh, I can't remember. Vanessa, what's her name, Vanessa? I can't remember my characters now. Got me so nervous. Marty, uh, uh, she was Martha somebody, but Marty was the name she went by. Marty, and she was good. always giving Courtney these glaring looks in class, seething right. hate because he was attracted to her, because Don was attracted right. to her. She felt that and, Don belonged to her, and she was mm-hmm. determined to keep it that way. Oh, my, she was dangerous. I wonder what became of her. I dread to think, but whatever. Yeah, she uh, she had ownership. She was very turfy about Dom. And and so turfy that one night she and some of her hood assaulted Courtney in, Courtney, in yes. the schoolyard. And, and uh, she was going to kill her, or she said she was going to kill her. And it well, was, it certainly felt like you it. know her friend. Her friend uh, later on said, "Ah, oh, Courtney wouldn't have killed you. She would have just almost killed you." But uh, I think um, I think Courtney pretty much felt that that Marty was going to kill her that night with the snowballs. All the snowballs had rocks in them or pieces of ice in them. It was a pretty bad time. A lot of she bleeding. Survived. Survival was good. Mm-hmm. But at the, at the at the darkest moment when she was choking on the scarf, uh, Winona appears. And man, Winona can she, can she handle a group of thugs? <laughs> the avenging Winona came and saved the day for Courtney, who by that mm-hmm. time I guess had been had been renamed Queenie. Uh huh. And, and that was part of her integration into this this interesting society. When you can accept derision with a smile, uh, then then you become part of the group in a way. That's it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You sound like you had similar experiences, John. <laughs> I could tell you my bullying stories too, but I won't go there just now. But um, uh, I, I did want to touch on something where I, I felt like she was a real hero, and that was the the young man who took home ec classes. And I, you know, I did I did high school in the '60s, and even in the '60s, girls took home ec and guys took shop. I mean, that that was the rules. But this guy, this young man. Rules. Yeah, took, oh, took, not only was took, it an unri- it was not only an unwritten rule; it was the rule of the school. I mean, it was just unheard of that a, a boy would want to learn how to cook, or a girl would want to learn how to build birdhouses. It just simply wasn't done, as my grandmother would say. It simply right. wasn't done, my dear. Mm. Um, yeah, so so you too then had the experience, but yeah, that kid did go in, and he was brave. He took cooking lessons. I wonder if he ever became a great famous chef. I I always pretend when I watch these TV chefs that it turned out that, that it was he. Mm-hmm. And he actually had more talent than some of the girls in his class and showed them a thing or two. But unfortunately, Dom and his hood didn't care for him doing feminine things and called him a fag and assaulted him and were beating him up. Yes. When Courtney saw this, she couldn't stand it, and she screamed Dom's name and started pounding him with her notebook, right? That's right. With her three-ring binder, she slammed apart <laughs> And it opened up and the papers went flying, but she did. She had her moment of heroism and, and went after him um, uh, for doing that. I, I don't know if she knew she was capable of it, but she was. That's the point. Mm-hmm. That was an mm-hmm. awful fight. Terrible. They were beating up this kid because he was gay. Um, only I don't think we used that word back then. I think we used, I can remember, fag and homo and awful names, but um, gay, not so not so much. But they did. They got mm-hmm. him. Oh, I'll never forget it. Never. Yeah. And and the the principal was really heroic here in holding those kids accountable. She was. She was. She was she was a good Roman Catholic woman and, and rigid and the and the cheerleaders were never allowed to turn cartwheels so their underwear wouldn't show when they when they were cheering. But 
But uh, she did. She did the right thing. Oh, she really did. She got those guys, as they say in Maine, she got them some good. Uh-huh. And and actually made them kiss each other on stage. So on stage, after wasn't that con- awesome? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a moment. Well, so our, our heroine is making her way through this and beginning to understand different ethnic groups a lot better and beginning to accept people and their differences. Um, but having one foot in each world became challenging for her to the point where eventually she wasn't as well accepted up the hill as she was amongst her, her students at Newtown. Yes, that, that's true. And I, and I, I wanted to be careful to not write as though all rich people are bad and all people who aren't rich are wonderful or are wonderful people. Uh, it's not the way it is at all. But, but Courtney, Queenie, really, to this day, John, has difficulty knowing exactly where she fits best because she mm-hmm. likes them both. But she, has, she kind of favors the, the, the less fortunate people. Mm-hmm. Even to this day, John. Yeah, and, and Queenie uh, ha- had to learn a, a lot of stuff uh, the hard way because her father used the disparaging terms for all those minorities and was particularly adamant about not allowing Jews into his country club, and oh. so the anti-Semitism was rampant, among other things. But, and she di- actually accidentally disparaged a student who was a Jew in her class. She did. She she um, she made a mockery. She saw a picture of Miss Jewish American, and she laughed about it at the at the lunch table. And Sue Lewis, uh, a nice Jewish girl there, um, event, never forgave well didn't forgive her for a long time, and eventually did, and explained to Courtney slash Queenie why that was wrong and bad. And Queenie had never been told any of the things that she had to hear from Sue Lewis, any of them. Mm-hmm. And it was horrifying, and she wouldn't believe it at first, but then she found out that, you know, that it was true. Yes, Courtney's, Courtney's father was unable to pass 20 minutes without coming up with some ethnic slur. He was just like clockwork. It was just fascinating, weird, bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, to, to not even know about the Holocaust... In the in the 50s was an interesting part for me. I, I didn't. Yeah, I, I wasn't even people... taught, John. That that is horrifying, and I sure hope that that's changed. I, I know it has, but um, no, they they were simply not told. It was. Uh, I don't know whether people didn't believe it happened, or if they thought it was all just propaganda. Even though there were photographs, lots of proof, survivors who were in America and had the, the tattoos on their arms. Uh, but it was still. Um, Overlooked, ignored, I should say. Awful. And I and I love the circle of friends she uh, she endeared herself to at Newtown, uh, the the public school. Um, They ranged from people who were close wannabes to to the people up the hill, but also there were people like Pansy, who uh, stole a mouse from the science lab to protect it and overfed it all the time and kept it in her bra. And who also was cool. inclined to turn tricks for lunch money. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you really did read that book, my word. Yes, Pansy did all those things. She really did. It was disgusting, but it was so funny. <laughs> Imagine mm-hmm. that, rescuing the, the, the white mice from, uh, oh, and mm-hmm. terrifying my sister was the most fun, having them jumping out of the desk drawer. But... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we do, we do what we can, and, and I wanted to rescue, she wanted to rescue mice. 
there's there's a, there's a great moment where it, it's it's obvious that her old people from the academy or old friends from the academy are, are not very accepting because she goes to a slumber party which they thought was only reserved for children but she went to a slumber party with her friends and that included pansy and some of these other folks that she got to know at various levels uh they just turned up their noses at that they did they did and i think i think that was their first um experience with uh I don't think anybody said grass back then or weed. I think they called it marijuana. Woo, mm-hmm. shocking. And then, mm-hmm. <laughs> look what happened after that. Well, there were, mm-hmm. I don't know if there were drugs like that in, in the, or if I just didn't know or Courtney didn't know, but I, I think marijuana was around or grass was around, but not, not the hard stuff. Mm-hmm. It was coming. Now, as, as she begins to accept the fact that there are all kinds of people in this world, uh, Courtney chooses to go to work in the summer for the YMCA, and that was a very moving experience for her where she yeah. really learned uh, to care for people of different groups, of different ethnicities, of different abilities, the differently able children that, that she took care of. Um, and she also came to appreciate the director of the Y. But if we go back for a moment to some foreshadowing, she referred to her father uh, and his secret men's club with the headmaster of the, of the, uh, uh, Winston Raleigh and uh, the Latin teacher, uh, Mr. Tomaschelli and this guy who was the, and they played golf and, uh, they seemed to, you know, have a, a, a closeness that couldn't be shared outside of their secret little club. That's right. And there was right. rumors amongst the students about Mr. Tomaschelli, uh, taking a schoolboy home from soccer and taking him down the side road and groping him. That's right. That's right. That's what happened. And then what came to light much later was that her father and the headmaster and the Latin teacher and the YMCA guy had been discovered abusing the mentally challenged children at the YMCA, sexually abusing them. That's it. Mm. You nailed it. They did that. And, and took pictures and everything. I just thought that because they who were who they were, that they would never get busted, that they would never get caught. Never. But they did. And they threatened them with their lives. They threatened to hurt their families if they ever told anyone. Finally, one boy crying told everything, and that's that's when the, the, the roof came tumbling down. The lid blew off. Yep. That's right. Exactly mm-hmm. right. Finally, one confessed. Um, because he was having mm-hmm. such terrible nightmares, and his parents kept saying, tell us, tell us, and and he finally did. As those things happen uh, often in life, but somebody has to finally break and do it. So it did happen. Oh, what an awful thing. And this is, uh, this is, uh, this was well foreshadowed earlier, though I had no clue. But when, when I was reading about Helen and Walter talking about this problem that she thought he had handled and it was no longer going to be a problem, I had no idea what the problem was at the time. They had been very cold to each other all their lives as well as to, to Courtney. Yep. And so, uh, ah. it, it finally come when it comes unglued, it, 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 it becomes apparent what all went on there. Yeah. But they got caught and it got corrected, I guess. And, but you know, I'm sure those kinds of things still go on. I hope not, but they do. Yeah. So they do. Yeah. And Courtney was a survivor. She, uh, said, you know, it's not my fault. And, uh, there were people that, would go on to reject her as a result of that, but not everyone, because they said, you know, right, it's not your fault. 
you're not responsible for what your father did. Yes, right. And and it was usually the people, the, the have-nots, as my father called them, that, that, that were understanding and accepting and, and good to her about it. The other ones, not so much. Yeah, and I I grew up in, in a segregated wasp neighborhood, but we never used the words nookby because we weren't that elite. But I love that not of our kind, dear, which time, applied to everyone else. Right? <laughs> and PLO, people like ourselves, that was always, mm-hmm. you, you, we would be asked um, if we met some new people inside in, in that circle, are they PLO? And if they were not PLO, whoop, out of the yeah. circle. And, and I mentioned at the beginning that this book talks a little bit about the patriarchal society at that time, and, and Courtney faces a little bit of that because she wants to go to school and be a journalist, and that's just not done. <laughs> you're supposed to be a nurse or a secretary or a teacher if you're a woman. The big five, John, it was secretary, teacher, wife, mother, and nurse. Those were, uh-huh. the, those were the things that proper young ladies did back then, but to be a journalist was, oh, just mm-hmm. shocking. I mean, who did that? That was for men of questionable reputation. Mm-hmm. And and the Aunt Esther tries to talk her into going back to the society and taking a summer in Europe to find the right, you know, legal right. partner for her life. But she decides to go ahead and do the journalism thing. And as it turns out, uh, the book ends. Introduce her 44 years later, going back to visit the old schoolhouse, which is no longer a schoolhouse, uh, uh, but. Uh, she, she grew up to live happily ever after, it seems to me. It seems. <laughs> so far, it's working out, John. <laughs> it's pretty nice. Yes, she, she, I, was offered a trip to Europe. Uh, to, so I would not get involved any longer with the man that I'm still married to. And I turned it down and never looked back. And there it is, 60 years later, this August. <laughs> mm-hmm. Tremendous. It's nice to win. Uh, unfortunately, nice. that's all the time we have. But I hope our listeners have appreciated how rich this novel is. The novel is Queenie. The author is L.C. Van Savage. It's a great read. It's a page turner. You can't put it down once you pick it up. I'm your host, Dr. John Cook. (laughs) L.C., thank you so much. This is the best interview I've ever had. You read every page. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I did, I did, and I loved it. Uh, I want to remind our listeners, if you don't catch our regularly scheduled broadcast, you can catch up with our program on our YouTube channel, Good Books Radio, Strong and Cook. Thanks for listening. Make it a great day.